Hello everyone and welcome to the Information Entropy Podcast, where we take subjects and try and create some order from the disorder. More likely we'll create some disorder along the way. You can follow us on social media, uh, maybe not at Twitter at the moment, you know, it's a bit hairy over there, but if, you, if you're still over there, it's uh, at Info Entropy Pod. You can follow us on Instagram uh, at Information Entropy Pod, and you can follow us on your Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. If you if you listen to us enough, you may get us in for the Spotify rap. We'll let you guys know how our Spotify rap goes when it pops out. Uh, it helps a lot if you give us a rating on all those different platforms so we can get to the top so people can see us and we can expand our listening base and get some interesting interviewees on the podcast. My name is Mitchell Gatting, or am I Mitchell Gatting? That often dilemma. I am joined by <laughs> Tom Jenks. And this Hello. week, we are talking internet and the dark web. Dun, dun, Roll the intro, dun. Tom. <laughs> was, that, was that high enough energy? You nailed it, mate. Absolutely yeah. nailed it. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, we, people can probably tell you're not sounding 100% this <laughs> no, week. Safe no. to say that's probably not the case. But uh, I it think considering people pay a lot of money to po- put that in post, you know. Yeah, well, the huskiness, the, yeah. the low, bassy, rumbling tones of yeah, my exactly. Illness. For those listening, I do not have COVID. I have checked twice. This is just a cold. Uh, it's my own fault for not going and get the jab. I ignored it. Why did I ignore it? I made the I took a risk-based decision to think that other people need it more than I do. So I didn't go and get it. And then well, a week later, I've got it. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll need to get mine when I get back. Like, it's, a, it's a limited amount. It's not an infinite amount of flu jabs. And there are more people that are more in need than I am. So I was just like... Pfft. That's fair. And you've got to yeah. think as well, this is kind of like the first winter post-COVID. Yeah, they, they're going to need it. Let's they're going to need it. Post. I mean, you know, whatever it ends yeah, up being. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, peop- the, the first winter where everyone gets ill anyway because yeah. it's cold. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So yeah, maybe. That's that's a, fair, that's a fair assessment. But I think they've got quite a number. I remember when I used to go get them, there was just always tons left over because I'm asthmatic. Whenever I'd go to a GP, they'd be like, oh, have you had your flu oh, jab okay. this year? And I'd be like, I think so. Oh no! And they'd be like, "Right, bang, stab before you can say." <laughs> You're running out the door, and they're yeah. After you, exactly. Uh, I've also, like, it's the busiest time at work at the moment, and I can't be getting a jab and taking the week off. You know, so yeah. I know that there's there's a life balance there, but if it's my choice, I'm not going to choose to do it. Uh, but you know, this <laughs> this illness came anyway, so you know, I'm a sucker. <laughs> <laughs> Sucks to suck. Sucks to suck. Okay. So before we dive into the internet and the deep web and the surface web and the dark web, some news. Space yeah. news. Space Ooh. news. It's me. It's me this. It's me this week. Yeah. So I can do space Returning news. back to your space news. Indeed. Well, less space, more out of space, and onto the ground. Uh, researchers have discovered two new minerals on a meteorite grounded in Somalia. Oh. Yeah. It's completely unknown Canada. to mankind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh shit! So, yeah, yeah, this is what this is why it's interesting. Uh, Team Canada say they have discovered two. Yeah. (laughs) So before Tom's like, I've got some uh, news about cuttlefish, and I went effy cuttlefish. (laughs) So this is why. Uh, So they've they've discovered two new minerals and potentially a third after analysing a slice of a 15-ton meteorite that landed in East Africa. The uh, the meteorite is the ninth largest recorded at over two meters wide. And was unearthed in Somali 
in 2020. Local camel herders say it was well known to them for generations and it was named Nightfall in their songs and poems. So this means you might have a... How fucking metal is that? <laughs> That's <laughs> so cool. Yeah, it really, it really is. If you had a call something, like Nightfall is a great... Great name. That's that's um, So, Dr. Chris Hurd, a professor in the Department of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences, and the curator of the collection, said that while he's classifying the rocks, he noticed unusual minerals. Had asked uh, Andrew Lowlock, it's the head of the university's electron microprobe laboratory, to investigate because they got the, the skills to pay the bills and the uh, paraphernalia to go along with it. Um, the first day he did some analysis, he said, you've got two new minerals in there. Uh, he said that was phenomenal. Most of the time it takes a lot more work than uh, that just to say there's two new minerals off the bat. Um, similar minerals have been synthetically created in a lab in the 1980s, but never recorded appearing in nature. So they've added these new minerals could help understand how nature's laboratory works and may have yet unknown real world uses. A third potentially as I said, is being currently analysed. So they haven't named them yet. They've got no names for them. But yeah, they're currently being uh, being analysed as, as we speak. That's pretty That's pretty mad. Just yeah, think that these we, things we just haven't even made synthetically or come across. That's wild. Yeah, the, what, what a world we live in. What a universe we live in. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Like We're just so used to like, everything that we know. It just comes from Earth, really. Apart from the few... Yeah, meteors yeah, and stuff. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically. rad. Yeah. That's really cool. I did see slight tangent off of that. Uh, on Mars, in the crater where Curiosity is, that's the most recent rover, right? Yeah. Is this the water? Yeah, they found uh, water yeah. remnants. Basically, their analysis is, oh, yeah, this place was habitable at one point. 100% uh, yeah. verified <laughs> this place <laughs> was habitable and there are you know the all the ingredients that could sustain life uh, the ingredients yeah make a good life sandwich <laughs> the problem it's with life cake, sandwiches actually. is they always no, get eaten no, it's, more like a, it's more like a cake than a sandwich it's more. I would say there's baking involved. It's like a sandwich. Oh, yeah. You've got materials and you just layer it. Or baking, you actually have to combine it. It's irreversible. That is what I'm looking for. It's an irreversible, it's an irreversible low and slow Victoria sponge. Yeah, it's a chemical reaction, so it's irreversible. Tasty stuff. Yeah. All right. Got any facts? I do. Well, about, about the dark Off into web. the web. Yeah. This week. So, this always surprises people. Um, but the surface web, which is the bit that people interact with on a day-to-day basis, that's like your websites and your news sites, all that sort of jazz, it makes up about 0.03% of the internet. Oh, really? I had, it accounts for 10%. That was my no, fact. Oh, wow. No, I was way off then, is, way outdated. Is, yeah, very, very, very small. Which is uh, absolutely then, crazy to think like, okay, everything that you can search up through Google or whatever search engine you use yeah, only accounts for that little. That's mm-hmm. madness. And then the dark web is a, a smaller fraction of that. It's 0.01% of the deep web. Okay. 
Again, another thing that I, before my research, was using interchangeably, the dark and deep webs. No, but they're very dark, different things. Uh, they, yeah, well, we'll get into what the difference we'll is between into, the dark yeah. and the deep web. Um, the, the deep web is, yeah, it's... Once people realise what it is, it makes sense why those numbers are so low. Um, yeah, so we'll and it sounds very kind of promiscuous, but I think I came to the conclusion, and it may be wrong, but most people use the deep web every day. Yes. And uh, yeah, as as Mitch uh, said, we, we will come on to that. Yeah. Boom, foreshadowing. Boop, boop, boom. Boop, boop, boop. So before we move on to the World Wide Webs and the Deep Webs and the Dark Webs and the Surface Webs, we have to go all the way back to before it was invented, in 1959. Was it when the patent was uh, first filed? didn't know oh okay this for the internet yeah this is it's, it's yeah it's for a network essentially okay. it, it's yeah. it, it was for like uh yeah for network it's it, it was kind of kind of kind of there so even before that to go back even further um you have to go to like the concept of data communication Oh, take us on a journey, mate. Yeah, so this is like transmitting data between two different places through electromagnetic medium, such as radio or electric wire, because that is the like the full precursor to the internet. Okay. Is the humans working out that we can transfer data. Beep, 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 beep. Oh, I've got a button for this. Give me one second. Nearly just, nearly just punched over a drink. Give me one second. <laughs> <laughs> so you got this. The beeps. Yeah. Not sure if they came through. They, they, um, they did for me. Yeah, sorry. Oh, everyone heard them. Uh, which I completely forgot the name of what the beeps. Morse code. <laughs> Morse code. Yeah, apologies. I am ill. Um, Morse code over the radio, electric wire, which, you know, obviously predates the first computers and such communications were typically uh, limited to point-to-point communication between two end devices. Like you had which, a transmitter and yeah. a receiver for that transmitter. Yeah, you had a cable that went from A to B um, until switchboards were invented. And then essentially the person on the switchboard just changed the connection from A to B to like B to C. Oh, that's what that is. That was. Yeah. Oh. So what happened is on the switchboard, you had all the different addresses. And what would happen is you would pick up the phone to the switchboard and then the lady on the switchboard who would sit there would be plugged in so she could hear you and you'd go ah good good morrow could i speak to dave at this address and she'd be like sure i'm just patching you in and then she would plug the cable into dave yeah she would plug the cable coming from your house into dave's house yeah mad oh do what i for anyone who doesn't know what a switchboard is does that need explaining um i don't i think we're past the point i mean he's so that's exactly what I said. It was before your phone could automatically be right, redirected to a person through internet or anything. You had a switchboard operator, which was a person that sat at a desk with loads of empty holes and sockets on it. Essentially, their job was to reroute like phone calls coming in to the, the, the other places that yeah. they needed to go. So they had a bunch of uh, cable connections. And it wasn't just one; they would they would do multiple at the same time because they were skilled like that. 
Uh, essentially, that's all they did all day was redirect phone calls for different people. Which is madness. I don't yeah. know how many people listening to this will have like a visual kind of cue what that looks like. But to me, kind of putting that, that information together, it's like, oh, that's that's kind of mind-blowing. Okay, that's what's happening. That's yeah. great. That's really cool. It's when you see it in the old movies and they're like... Yeah. Hello, yeah. operator. Yeah, that's, that's, that's such a word, isn't it? Uh, I think he used to blow down it as well back in the day. I don't know. Um, so yeah, they, they were very, very limited. So essentially what they then switched to was uh, early computers which had central processing units and remote terminals. And as that technology evolved, new systems were dev- devised to allow communication over long distances for the terminals and then with higher speeds. So that'd be interconnected uh, local devices that used LAN, which is local area networks. Um, and those were, were necessary for mainframe computer models because the computers needed to be connected to each other to then do the comp- computational maths. Um, and then as things evolved even more, it made possible for like larger exchanges of data between remote computers. However, the point-to-point communication model was limited as it didn't allow for direct communication between any two arbitrary systems. A physical cool link was necessary. Um, and at the time, the technology was considered unsafe for strategic and military use because there was no alternate paths of communication in case of an enemy attack. Right. And if people don't know, that is what propagated and excelled uh, the developments of the internet was, uh, I believe it was Cold War. Because the Americans, who at the time were developing the, the technology, were very scared of nuclear attack and they wanted a way of communicating from coast to coast uh, which could, if an area went down, the connection could stay live. Yeah. So imagine you've got a, like a computer, not a computer web, a spider web from left side to right and you want to go from left side to right and there's a whole bunch of different routes you can take. If you smashed out a section of that web you could still go from a to b you just have to take a different route okay yeah and that is that's why they were like yeah let's let's create this communication network and that's created like this like node-based and you can go different ways um absolutely crazy yeah so i, I was looking at this a little bit and that code that kind of it started around the 1960s uh, as the arpanet yeah arpanet which stands for Advanced Research Projects Agency, which is, a, as you said, a, a subsection of the, the US government who are looking into it. And... Department um, of Defense, yeah. Yeah. In the 1970s, they had three computers on the ARPANET. LA, San Francisco, and Boston. Yep. Fast forward, what, the Cold War? Less than 15, 20 years. That net would have exploded... Yep. So yeah, that that's uh it's weird how these kinds of socioeconomic things spur the research and development of things we just kind of take for granted every single day. Yeah. Like the like, first, I think I can't remember what it is, but like the first, it was just a, an email was the first thing. Yeah. But it wasn't like an email like you or I know it. I think it was like a file that they left it placed somewhere and the okay. person went and like picked it up. Right. Because it wasn't like, yeah. So it's it's really difficult to get into. So I, I come from like computer world, cybersecurity. This kind of thing's my jam. 
and start like when you dive into any of these subjects it gets very complex very very quickly yeah like if you start trying to explain how an email actually works with like the headers how it knows where it's going like the way that headers are written um dns and like remapping because you can put if it's like a work email, you can put like a different, you have to put in a a record. I think it's, it's called an, <laughs> this is this is the Roman back, an MX record. So if you fire an email to that MX record, because it's a work address, it'll like reroute it to you. Okay. It's, it's a whole, because there's some cybersecurity, there's some email protection systems that essentially what you do is you change your MX record for the, uh, the cyber the cybersecurity solutions MX record. So what happens is emails don't go to you; they go first through this protection system for your emails, and then in that uh, that system will be clever enough to know where to throw it onto next. So what it'll do is it'll fire it into like a magic black box that you've told it into. Magic black box will scan it, see if there's any like viruses, that kind of stuff, and then it'll spit it back out and spit it to you clean. Okay. That's so interesting. So that, what we kind of discussed there a little bit then, is the internet, right? No. that that's So that is essentially the deep web. Okay. So all that stuff that's going on behind, so like the emails, the data transfer, yes. the stuff that's being like stored in places that you can't actually access. Yeah. That is that is the that's deep web. That's the deep web. Sorry, but I meant before that, when we're speaking about the computers connecting to each other, that's the internet, right? Yeah, so that is that, yeah, yeah. So the the term of the internet is is so obtuse. But okay. yeah. Essentially computers or computer systems connecting to other computer systems via the cables. That is what we call the internet. Okay. And that, in my head, is interchangeable with the web. Like the World Wide Web. But that's something... Yeah. Just a colloquial phrase. as the, the amalgamation of those two things, which are actually different things, right? Yeah. So, like, the World Wide Web, as we know it, is the the surface web, the www dot. The, yeah. It's, it's, it can also be called the visible web or indexed web. Okay. And these are all the things that we can access from like databases or just anywhere that you can access from your computer. Yeah. Um, so databases is probably not right there. Uh, most people on a day-to-day won't interact with a database directly. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking my line of work. That yeah, made so- sense <laughs> in my line of work, yeah. So if you, if you are like working with data or data sets, then yes, you'll interact with a database but even then, that database may not be on the internet. Okay. You, you may have a... So if you're being hyper cybersecurity about it, cybersecure, um, you would have a VPN into that network that has got the database. Right. So essentially that means is that nobody... You tell... that you, You've got a database and you say, right, no one's coming in unless they come in from this VPN. So this virtual private network, right, which essentially is like a tunnel that goes from your machine with your credentials to the black box with the database and all the good data in it. Okay. So, there's, there's so it's like you've secluded where, a little bit of the internet and you've restricted the access, 
No, no, because it's, it's not on the it's not on the internet. Ah, uh, yeah. See, okay, <laughs> yeah. You've secluded a little bit of the web that you can't access unless you have specific authority to access it from a particular location, place, or credentials, yeah. and that's technically the dark web compared to the surface web. That is the deep web. Deep web. Sorry. Yeah. See, here yeah. I go. Bloody hell. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's so the surface web is like your Google, which is an index, and any so any page that's on Google is being indexed because that's how inde- uh, Google works. It trawls websites, uh, looks for the indexing, and then puts it onto the Google. Basically, any search engine. That's how they work. Yeah. They're okay. essentially big internet trawlers. And have you ever heard of like SEO writing? Yeah. It's a very. I absolutely hate it. It just doesn't ah, so, go with my brain at all. Yeah, um, Grace. Grace is an absolute expert. I, she, I bet she, she is. Yeah, that's, and that's, it's like you write articles and things in a very specific way using certain keywords and trigger words and things like that, so that when you Google something that may contain those keywords, your article is more likely to appear first than others. Yeah, or at I'm least always, be, or at least appear. Yeah, yeah, right at the top, so it ranks better. That's yeah. all to do with ranking. But what's really interesting is uh, a few months ago, I think it was actually last month. So imagine like people that get used to SEO and they kind of like know Google's algorithm because they know how to play it because it's been around for so long. And essentially it's them like building a tower of cards and getting to the end of being like, right, I know how this works. Essentially what Google did a month ago was just be like, oh, that's a nice house of cards you got. Flips the table and just says, right, algorithms changing <laughs> deal oh, with it no. also list rankings are useless and people don't like them so you need you need to provide useful stuff get out of here because they realize there's lots of like things ranking really high that shouldn't have done purely because they were playing the algorithm oh so is that good for us then as a consumer uh, yeah so one of the things that got really hit is do you know uh cooking websites yeah. What essentially they would do is the first like three pages, three scrollable areas, not three pages anymore. The first three scrollable areas were like the background story of the, 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 the chef's life and what they were doing, what inspired them to make this dish and the bit that no one actually really cared about yeah. until halfway down the uh, the recipe side. Well, the reason that they did that, because that ranks better, to have those words in the top. Ah. Essentially, it adds like... These are new words. They're more interesting. Blah 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 blah. They're playing. They're playing the thing um, to get. And then yeah, and then people like yeah, this is actually useless. Nobody wants this. So you actually have to be making like good, useful content. Yeah, I guess I like if ranked. you were looking for a recipe and you just had the actual recipe just come up straight away, simple, easy to read. Yeah, that's what you're looking for, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess Indeed. if they're they're playing the system, damn. Yeah, that's how all algorithms work, and it's not just Google. People need to, and, and this is what uh, they need to teach us in, in primary schools and teach it to children early. If there is a service you are using, if it is free, there is some nefarious algorithm in the background doing something. Like we, we've talked about this before. Yeah. Like Twitter, Reddit, Google, um, Facebook, TikTok. If you are not careful, TikTok is. So, you know what's really funny? TikTok is the worst for it. And I did tests on this when I was in uni about how quickly we could modify the algorithm through each other. Okay. And it took like f- like 
four videos of like liking, commenting, then keeping it up on screen and watching it a few times. Yeah. You will just like then get videos related to that thing or that person. Like, and I've noticed that because I haven't been on TikTok that yeah. long, maybe a couple of, maybe a month, uh, maybe a bit more. And I just leave it on sometimes and I get distracted. It's like, oh, I'm cooking and I put a video down and it's on something random that I just happen to be scrolling through. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. for the next like, I don't know, couple of days, I'm getting all of those videos that it just happened to land on because I wasn't didn't keep on scrolling. I'm like, oh, I hate this. So I'm having yeah. to retrain the algorithm on purpose, like quickly flick past the videos I don't want. <laughs> yeah, that, that works though. That, that's the strange thing. Yeah. Um, Instagram a few years ago got into a lot of trouble and they had to do this whole like moderation creation of their, their algorithm because there was a whole series of um, like quite sadly um and they, they attribute it to instagram they say it can't be instagram's fault there's a law that means that you can't be prosecuted for uh data that you're holding but you're not in charge of it's this weird loophole okay so if there's a data like aggregation website such as uh mega or dropbox is another one but instagram falls under the same thing you can't be prosecuted if someone uploads an illegal piece of content to that area. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So, the whole mega upload debacle. Yeah, I mega upload yeah. with Kim.com. He got extradited to the US from uh, New Zealand. They found that to be completely unlawful and he sued America for a lot of money. But essentially, that was the case of a mega upload was hosting like pirated mu- videos music all that sort of jazz and they tried to pin it on him but he essentially said look the way that it works we don't know what those files are and that's the way that our business model is yeah and under your law i can't be prosecuted on this and he got through fine but it's the fact that the way they did it it was horrendous and they destroyed so much of his stuff it was ridiculous but going back to the the instagram thing um the there was a lot of negative like self-harming uh like suicide related posts being put on instagram edgy teen kids that kind of stuff putting it there um and what essentially happened is because there was no moderation on that type of content if you were a young impressionable person that started looking at that kind of thing because you know depression you die you, music there's there's some that slipped into it via like listening to slipknot with like lyrics and the lyrics were of a negative nature and that was enough to slide the algorithm into that onset um and they essentially would be put in an echo chamber of just these like horrible negative pictures words emotions that kind of thing that would like feed into their brain and that's all they were consuming for so long like a day because obviously they're a teenager and it ended up with there being like a, a massive increase of like suicides in that period of time. So Instagram had to go through and completely change that and moderate it. Um, and there's, a, there's an amazing article called um, when the algorithms want you to die and it explains the whole thing. And if people are interested in that kind of stuff, go, go read it. Cause it is, yeah, they had to do, they, there was like loads of documentaries about it on the time because it was awful. Uh, but since then a lot of things have changed um the the parents of one of the obviously one of the i think one of the 
girls um they went forward and made this plea to instagram and then that got pushed to other different people and they there's a whole like board to try and get this sort of moderation sorted that's That's how like nefarious it can be it's ridiculous how manipulative especially facebook with like oh the elections like when that came out and people just completely ignored it and were like oh there's no way that it affected what i think it's like no they can it was like with I think it was like 20 likes they can, can pretty determine it's they know you better than your family does yeah that's all it takes is like 20 to 30 likes on facebook for different things and they can like supply you with political news that kind of thing uh, it's madness isn't it but and especially because a lot no of that company. stuff is like if you're just used to liking things a lot of it kind of becomes like subconscious so they probably yeah. build up a better picture than you have of yourself yeah, it's really, really funny. Because, like, she, she's like, you never like Instagram or, like, TikTok things. But when I'm watching, I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't like things. She's like, why not? I'm like, I don't want to feed the algorithm. I don't want it to know what I like and to dislike. Like, yeah. I don't want to be that. Because, um, obviously, if I, like, if I hesitate on a, on something for too long, it then starts to know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's wild to think, like, we're still in that kind of phase where the internet... And algorithms like this aren't monitored or they have this impact. Uh, I'm assuming, I'm hoping, unintentional impact. Um, but like... No, you, they're, you, they're, it's all intentional, mate. Yeah, it's, but you've you got, you got to assume all, there wasn't someone like, at the beginning going, oh, I see, hope that someone unalives themselves. Oh, okay. So not that nefarious. No, Do you know no, what I mean? There wasn't a nefarious intent in that sense. Yeah. Because we did a bit of cyber psychology at university and all these systems are designed to keep you there longer, to keep yeah. you in your dopamine. And that it's it's very much I say bled to video games. But video games has probably been the best experimental playground for people that specialise in these algorithms to play with and work out because there's so many gamers and it's like that reward dopamine yeah. transaction is so much greater in video games like if you look at um like fortnite with like i don't know how many players like hundreds of millions of players yeah they've they've got such a large test sample that they can just be like oh yeah you know we've got the store this week and we're gonna like anchor the prices and we're gonna see if you know we put a discount on the price do they play longer? If they're put in a, a lobby with someone that's got a really cool skin, are they likely to go buy it? Are they likely to, you know, yeah, want to play more? Or do they play better? And what they can... But this is like some full-on nefarious underbelly of games. What they'll do is if you buy a skin or... which So it's, it's explain what I'm not saying. A skin is such like a weird term if you're not a gamer. Uh, a skin is described as like a different model to a an item in game so it can be like yeah. better colors better brighter it can shoot different effects and when you like paraglider you can have effects come off it looks it's just not what the, the default it looks sparkly and new yeah and what they do is if you buy that what they'll, they'll essentially do is do you know there's a, something called skill-based matchmaking and that's yeah. normally your to so games are fair and you're not put with some absolute <laughs> wizard at gaming who's really 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 good you play people with your own sort of level it'll tweak that so the few games after you buy that package 
you'll be put in lobbies with people that are worse than you. So you get that kick of like, oh, I've just bought this new thing. I'm playing really well. Yeah, let's go. Then you're more likely to buy another thing. Like, yeah, I'm trying to think how many times has that worked on me? <laughs> yeah. God damn you, Smite. I was going to say, say Smite. I don't think Hi-Rez has enough of investment to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, If you just look at some of their pricing stuff, it just seems a bit wonky. But especially in like Call of Duty, Destiny, the franchise owned by Activision, Activision and Blizzard is like... Horrible for this kind of stuff. A billion dollar company. Yeah, Blizzard is the worst for like in-game monetary purchases. They, They also own FIFA, which is again... Yeah, loot boxes is a whole different kettle of fish but yeah to the point where there's been patents for like where you look on a screen and if you have something pop up it's a pop-up banner here like oh wow what what, what triggers you what, where are you looking that kind of thing which is why um when we talked about vr a few episodes ago when we said about the eye tracking is something that the new meta quest pro has in it I'm scared for the data that they are using that for. Yeah. Because that's when it gets into Black Mirror because it's not just, oh, his cursor was over here or he pressed these keys. It was like, oh, we can tell he popped this up on screen and his eyes went to here. They lasted this long. These are the things that he looked at. But the other thing to do with that, I'm sure they must have a way to track it, is on Twitch, lots of streamers you can use. It's called Toby Eye Tracking. It's the specific app, and it shows like a bubble on screen of where your eyes are currently looking. So people can like see, if you're playing a video game, how often you're looking at the center of the screen or how often you're looking at like a mini-map that's on the screen or your inventory or other things. Like, Yeah, my, my only difference in that is like you've purchased that and you've downloaded that and it's oh they have, they have okay it's, i'm it's, just wondering yeah, whether yeah, that can that, translate like, across to any game that they can sell that data off to you know yeah they can but that's you know part of what you do it's probably in the terms of conditions yeah the nefariousness about meta is there's probably like a subsection of a clause in the terms of conditions on like page 500 that says oh by the way yeah that we collect and we're allowed to use the data that you sell you agree to that unless you're in the opinion and then they you cannot by which point you've already spent 1500 quid on a meta quest pro so what you're going to do is say no (laughs) yeah that's true that's true what you do about it yeah but getting back to the web instead of nefarious things that happen on the internet yes uh the surface web as we've discussed is the visible web the index the day-to-day that you conduct your your regular activities such as reddit imgur Imager for Imager. us normal people. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you could Google. Then you've got the deep web, uh, which is the world web content that isn't included part of the, the surface web. So it's kind of hidden from the outside world. As I said, databases, uh, any page that the standard search engine can't index, won't index. So, like, um, is so my not- Google Drive on the deep web? Because only I can get to it. Um, technically, yes, because it's storage. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So, like, if any like ones at work and they've got like a storage system or maybe some kind of intranet, yeah. So that's that's a cloud-based storage solution. So yeah, it's on the internet. But you can have physical-based storage solutions, and they wouldn't be on the internet. Okay. Or you could you could change it from being on the internet. Um, but you can have websites that are deep web websites that are just like normal websites but are on the deep web 
and that's any websites because you can set up uh, a website that cannot be trawled or indexed by google or a search engine right like all you'd have to do is put a specific login page to a specific website and that's on the deep web okay so like if you're logging into like the admin page of a website no because it's the website it's on the web oh okay yeah you're right you're right mm-hmm not the admin page. If you had a specific page that was like exclusive and you could only get in via this one page and add a login page. Pe- uh, okay, yeah. Then yeah. I get you. Mm-hmm. Um, the total quality of the deep web quantity is one to 2,000 times greater than the surface web. That's how much content is back there. Um, yeah. Which is kind of unimaginable, really. Like, I don't think one person could even comprehend the amount of information on Wikipedia, one website let alone the entire surface web, let alone mm-hmm. the entire deep web. Yeah. Well, it's like you can... It's a crazy fact. The whole of Wikipedia you can download and put on a USB drive. Is it? Does it really contain that little? Because I've seen yeah. people do that, and I'm like, oh, well, that must be a pretty hefty USB drive. No, because it's all just text. Oh, that's honest. true. And that's relatively low, low on bit. bit rate. What I've been meaning to do, I've been meaning to make out like a bug out bag that's got like... Uh, a tablet that's got a USB port that can read all the Wikipedia. So if something happens, I'll know how to deal with it. Right. Some like solar charger, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I saw someone, I can't remember who it was, some YouTuber who I haven't watched in a while, but they went on to like, to do like a survival thing in real life because they played a lot of survival games. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, oh, okay, well, if we get like really stuck, our f- our, like our last backup before we actually call for help, is going to be this little bug out bag in which there was the entirety of Wikipedia. Yeah. On it. Because all you need is the the Wikipedia. You then need to load it onto a, uh, like a tablet, like a, what was I going to say? No, oh, not notebook. The Kindle. Okay. Because you can store it on the Kindle and then you can load it onto the Kindle from USB. So you have a backup, you need redundancies. We're talking disaster recovery and business continuity management plans here. Um, yeah, imagine you were the last person on earth and your yeah. one copy of Wikipedia got corrupted. Yeah, you would be <laughs> absolutely human. You'd probably, you'd probably have a few and dot them around. If, if I was going full full board on it. Um, yeah. yeah, and then you need to obviously something to power it. So you need a solar panel, that kind of thing, at least two maybe. Um, or like a crank version. I don't know. Yeah moving on can't talk about this forever the dark web the deep the non-deep the dark web which is on the deep web uh question mark or is it separate it's a division of the deep web okay so it's not part of not connected but it's a division of it okay so imagine you've got a hard drive and you've partitioned a section if you want this is like i know, I know this is technically lingo with technically go Let's say you've got a cake. Yeah. And you've cut a slice off. Yeah. But it's next to it. Yeah. That that slice is the dark web. Okay. Like it's still the same cake. But one still the pies. same cake? There's just a little bit of space between them. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's not fully air gapped. Okay. Air gapping being there's a physical gap between systems. Like if you're being super safe about a backup server... Uh, and you want it offline, it's called air gapping, and that means there's no way that you can get to it via a network. Uh, okay. Yeah. 
then you actually have to go and plug in a USB, like a, an Ethernet cable into it and then start doing funky things. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Like, we, in the past, we had an, an audit and the guy was like, says here that you've got like a, a vulnerability on the wireless of this system. We're like, of the wireless drivers. We're like, oh, that's great. But it doesn't even have wireless capabilities. So, cool. They went, oh, <laughs> right, okay. Don't worry about that one then. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, for those reasons, because there's a lot of, you know, vulnerabilities that come with yeah. wireless. Uh, the deep web. The dark web. The dark web. The dark is a partition division of the deep web that is intentionally hidden from normal search engines all the data is encrypted to access it you either need special software special hardware special configurations and special authorizations uh, yeah it, it uses masked ip addresses so ip addresses are numbers that point computers towards different places is the easiest way that I can say it. Uh, like 192.168.1.1 will be a local computer. Normally, that'll be like your router or something. Um, but your oh. computer, your phones, everything will have an IP address that gets translated into... Uh, if it's a website, it'll have a an alias. So that'll be the URL. And the URL gets converted into an IP address, which gets sent to like a domain authority location that will tell people like hey i'm over here i'm at this address so when you want to go to google which is 8.8.8.8 if you want to know don't know what i remember these things at the top of my head um essentially there's someone over like imagine someone's got a flag and they're waving it like yo i'm google no you go i want google and there's a person with a flag saying google on it and you go over to him he's like actually i'm not google but I know where Google is. He's over there. The number's over there. And he's at 8.8.8.8. Okay, right. So you have it. like these 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 levels and these high levels of domain authorities. I can't remember what the level is, although I'll blur it. But essentially, there's like the dictionaries of like who's got this domain. Okay. And there, was, there was a website called Who Is. It got banned when GDPR came in because there was a bunch of, you could find who owned a website. Ah. People, people deemed that not, right yeah um because you could essentially attack people for it it was a bit fairest for uses um the yeah, ip address works. essentially is like this is my personal identifier for this device yeah. and they're they're blocked off in i can't really have bits it is but they're essentially three numbers and the three different numbers correspond to different things so like the end number if it was if it's 255 if i've got that correctly that's like the the location like it's hard to describe like the the mask the subnet mask because you have subnets okay so if you have like 912.1.1 that's that third one is like this area but if it's two it's then another area okay that makes sense yeah so On the same ip address but a different area no. of it <laughs> different ip addresses uh you have like but different subdomains right Gotcha. Yeah. So if you imagine like a subdomain is a room and you've got four computers in that room, that's one subdomain. And then if you've got another room with four computers in, that's another subdomain and it will redirect based on what subdomain you're in. Okay. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, man, I didn't realize I was diving into IP addresses and <laughs> that, kind of, that kind of stuff. All off the top of the head. I'm impressed. Yeah. 
so, yeah. So, for example, uh, the dark web, things that aren't accessible, you've got Tor, uh, L2P, Freenet, and there's, there's loads more, but that's some. And these some. are software browser things that allow you to get onto the dark web? Uh, yes. Okay. So, I know Tor is. Yeah. That's the only one I've Tor, heard of. Tor uses some, you know, some fancy. It's called onion routing. Okay. Which, do you want to go into that now? Because it's it's very. Well, we've arrived here. Okay, so onion routing is a te- is a technique that is used to anonymously communicate over a computer network. It's a type of routing uh, that messages are encapsulated in layers of encryption. That's why it's called onions of analogous analogous <laughs> analogous <laughs> analogous layers of an onion so imagine it's got three layers of an onion um it's a <laughs> the onion is a top pseudo top level domain name designating an anonymous onion service it's only reachable by using the tor network so this is we'll go into the tor network uh it encrypts data through a series of network nodes called onion routers uh, and each layer peels one by one and uncovering the data of the destination. So essentially what it does, if you, do you know that web that we talked about earlier? Yeah. There's different routes through it. What the onion routing will do is when you go to send it, you'll like package it up in multiple layers uh, and you'll send it to one node. Dink, gets to the node. Uh, that will peel a layer away and the next layer will tell it to send to another node, but not the actual destination. Okay. So it will then peel it off and send it on to the next bit and the next bit and the next bit. So all the nodes that it jumps to, it won't know where the final destination is. And that same, that final node that sends it over doesn't know if it's going on further, if that's the final layer that's being peeled off. It would only know the previous layer? Like where the previous node was? Or will it know all yeah. the previous nodes? No, no, no. Only the previous one. Yeah. So that node that it lands on knows where it's come from, where it's going. And that is it. So it doesn't but know it if doesn't it's the know... first one in the chain or if it's the yeah. last one in the chain. It doesn't know if it's the first or the last in the chain. And that's what makes it very clever. Okay. Is, yeah. Yeah. Is if you're going to do it, that's the way to do it. There was an issue and people stopped believing in it because they thought that the FBI was essentially buying or rounding up enough nodes because if you have enough nodes like say you own 80% of the nodes Ah. that's a process you can essentially work out using very clever maths uh, where it's come from and where it's going okay because if someone owned all the nodes on that network you would see it come in bounce around your network and get to a different destination and be like okay that was from this person to this person yeah okay that's very interesting but that's not the case. Um, as it's become more popular, uh, people can create their own routers, their own onion routers. Um, right. So that essentially normal people can add to the more node pool. And because more people, it was more accessible. It reduced the number that uh, the police owned. Or police, I say police, I mean like global different uh, police networks owned so it bumps normal people reduce their numbers made it made it more safe okay increase the risk posture or uh, the security posture of the onion routing right. network 
and then the more popular it gets yeah the, the more people start using it the safer it gets the more popular mm-hmm. it gets and it kind of you'd hope would not plateau yeah if you're a user yeah yeah and loads of people use this network to remain secure people that live in dictatorships uh reporters whistleblowers they a lot he's saved a lot of lives in terms of like disclosing bad things that are happening justice for a lot of people um, yeah we hear i think quite often we hear the dark webs like oh okay that's a bad that's an illegal thing only a legal thing yeah. goes on there but that's not the case at all okay yeah my, a lot my of illegal things go on there but <laughs> is the dark web illegal and okay yeah it's not inherently it's like saying is a car illegal which a lot of people don't understand it's like is is a tool inherently legal like yeah is owning a car illegal no because it's a method of transportation and that is it can you do illegal things with it yes um was it designed to do illegal things no but anything can be you can use anything as a murder weapon so would you say that, that thing is inherently bad legal no like yeah i guess it also comes down to people especially governments want ways to regulate things so that they can minimize the activity of illegal things right and yeah, using the just... dark web makes it so much harder <laughs> to yeah control so, or let's say police things like that yeah you're, you're right there whenever i see anything to do with the uk government being like we've got this you know the last time they did it they called it like a child internet safety bill okay and it was the most ridiculous thing in the world essentially like encryption no longer a thing or if there was encryption you had to write a backdoor or a way to decrypt or way way of getting any into any sort of like system and the uk government had to have it just to, just in case to make sure just to check things just to save the children because they're like yeah you know what's bad in the world pedophiles so what we want to do is take away your the the control of the internet and make our own internet where we can like regulate and Sensor make sure that through. your yeah your children are safe but what it actually was is like stripping away any kind of privacy any sort of anonymity any like so they were cool. hiding something quite nefarious behind a yeah, noble cause yeah whenever whenever any government's just like we want to restrict the internet it's just like the internet is kind of like one of the last bastions of free speech to be honest yeah um yeah it's it, it's just like immediate red flags all over the place because okay. say that and it's like <laughs> i'm gonna say the first slippery slope but it's the like first step into dictatorship you look at the much because there's the great so there's the great chinese firewall it's a place to play on the wall of china right it's the firewall of china uh, and essentially there's not much, I think that, I'm not sure if there's not much or there's no internet traffic going in and out of China. They've got their own network and yeah. it's very heavily, you know, controlled. If you say anything online, they'll turn up at your front door. Yeah. That kind of, that kind of level. And essentially that would be, and if you typed anything that went against the government government or was deemed bad and inappropriate, like say you're playing a video game and you, tell a child in your lobby to you know that you say like your mum or something something worse along those lines um uh 
no classic one was and like, Call of Duty insult. Yeah, it's like imagine you, it's like 2012 and you're playing Search and Destroy Call of Duty, and you know people are just throwing around the worst insults that you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> um, you'd be going to prison. And that'd be that. They'll yeah. be like, oh, data miscommunication act, blah 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 blah. Well, you're banned from the internet. Happened to a woman that was harassing her ex-husband. It was that I was doing. Did a bit of law at university to do cybersecurity. This is still in China. No, no, this is still in America. Oh, okay. Um, and this, like this, this uh, woman, I can't remember her name, went on to like this campaign of harassment against the guy. He like moved. She got him fired from the job. Uh, he got a restraining order from her. She then used the internet to like continue this to keep spamming her messages. And eventually what happened is he went back to court and the judge essentially said, I cannot in good mind think, because we've been here before, that if you use the internet, you won't try and harass this man. So it is now illegal for you to use the internet in any capacity. Right, that's fair. And I was just like, you know, if it was like first offence, well, this was like third four fence five years down the line the guy's moved twice he's lost like a girlfriend because of it he's lost his job and i was just like yeah no this person should be banned from the internet <laughs> yeah and it's completely different to blanket censorship and controlling isn't it it's like you've had your chance <laughs> you had your chance and yeah. all you've done is use it to bully some bloke okay maybe you had a misunderstanding well you, you've broken up whatever it is more than misunderstanding but still yeah yeah tragic but there is very much an illegal side of the dark web and that was yeah. very much the the silk road era of the dark web which is kind of unfortunate is like that's what propelled it into you know the news and it becoming popular was this because the silk road was when the west and the i'll say east conjoined and there was like I mean, the, the real the, Silk Road, yeah, the, thing, like the historical Silk Road. Silk Road. Yeah, the historical Silk yeah, Road. Yeah, it went from is... uh, Southeast Asia, didn't it? Up yeah. to, I want to say like the, the Germany region? Yeah. it's Essentially, it was, it was named after that. And it was a way of you being able to use Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency to buy, uh, I have a list of like services or things. Right. So you could buy like drugs, guns. Um, oh no, it was to Greece. Sorry, the, to northern Turkey. Oh, they're talking. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that makes still, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but things like uh, customer data, financial data, operational data on a company, um, access to certain systems. You could buy remote access trojans which essentially is malware that hides itself and opens up when it's in the system um key loggers which track what keys you type so when they when you get shown a login portal and you type oh my username is you know mitch yeah my password is mitch uh they'll be like oh, okay that's his password and they'll gain access and essentially what most people do if you don't use like bookmarks or shortcuts is they'll go oh okay www.halifax.com yeah just as a random website um here's my pin blah 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 blah. enter my numbers here's my username blah 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 
here's my memorable details, which they changed, very clever. So you don't type, you shouldn't type in your memorable data, details anymore. They should always be on a drop down. Uh, okay. Mass and movement. that's, yeah, that simple mechanism, changing it to a drop down, is a great way of like avoiding that. Right. Clever things. You didn't know about the internet. That's very um, clever, yeah. Yeah, and, and then they will be sent those key logs and they can just exploit anything they want. Um, but yeah, essentially that's what it is currently now. There's a lot of that now. <laughs> it's like, uh, there's a, uh, MIT did a really, really interesting paper if you people want to know about this kind of like the dark web servers and tools. And it was, called, it was called like hacking as a service. So there's <laughs> lots of like infrastructure as a service, as a service, software as a service. Oh, mate. A brain service. service. So all these like cloud-based, you don't own the physical thing. You get somebody else to manage, host it, that kind of stuff. Uh, that actually um, started in the enterprise world and then went over to the, the the dark, nefarious side of the websites and the internets. So you have hacking as a surface. Um, Which is and- really odd to think about, but it makes so <laughs> much sense, doesn't it? Yeah, like- so there is a, I think it's called Imotet, is a, it's a suite of hacking tools. Uh, and they have, it's, it's brilliant. They have a 24-7 support surface. <laughs> so you can be like oh actually yeah sorry i've been trying uh, i paid for this with the book coming from this address uh, and i haven't had access to it what's going on and the person on, on the support would be like oh yeah i see your access here you access uh, anything else we can help you with today sir and you're like oh yeah no um i'm having some issues like with this ip address range that you know i'm trying to break into uh what is there anything wrong with the tool and they're like oh yeah obviously we're running some bug fixes blah 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 blah. like how a proper company would run these hacking companies run identical to that because that's what people and it's really i'd imagine properly probably better yeah than trying to contact because their their um like consumer pool is so much smaller than like regular yeah companies true. that they have to their retain rate has to be a lot higher um yeah absolutely madness and another <laughs> one of my favorite things we had to do cyber warfare uh an investigation into uh, cyber crime actually an investigation into like these three different um organized crime com- uh, cyber crime syndicates essentially uh and one of them was a an escrow service do you know what like that is yeah escrow like holds your money until like, yeah, a so condition you, yeah. has been met yes 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 so uh in real life if you use like fiverr or what's the one that we use tom for a little bit i don't know uh for the 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 thing that we should not name we got paid through. upwork yeah upwork is the uk version essentially they act as an escrow service yeah so you say I'm going to pay this amount. And then person says, okay, I'm going to do this work. Um, essentially the middleman checks it and makes sure that, you know, that both, both parties right. are and happy. Then, and then yeah, they send yeah. it. There's a, there was a syndicate that essentially in this space where nobody, none of the, the crime organizations trusted each other went, right. We are going to be an escrow service. Uh, we have proven that we're trustworthy in the evil industry. Well, essentially what we're going to do is say that you've got 
breach data of like usernames and passwords for this company, what we'll do is we'll take it from you. We'll check it, make sure that it will or like authenticate it to make sure that it's correct. Uh, once we do, we'll give a stamp on it. Uh, and then what essentially we'll do is from the people that want to buy it, we'll take the money and then we'll exchange it. And then we'll take a, um, a percentage of the profit. Right. And that was as simple as what that there was like, this is our service. This is what we do. They made billions of oh, pounds sure. in this. Like yeah. they were the, like, we had a look at like the top, you have to do like an organizational chart of the syndicate. And like the top 10 people were like billionaires. It was ridiculous. And this was back when like Bitcoin wasn't worth much. So if they still had that Bitcoin and it was still oh, wow. <laughs> like, yeah. absolutely ridiculous amounts of money. Yeah. Bitcoin is something just I like, had also to look at, but I think that's a bit. That's a whole rabbit hole I found. What Bitcoin? Yeah, Ooh. or cryptocurrencies, decentralized, yeah. decentralized currencies. Yeah, that's a, a whole thing. Not doing too good at the moment. No, a uh, bit of a, a cold snap for cryptocurrencies, but you know, the stocks are also in not a bit of good, <laughs> good, but no, uh, like a lot of the. This is a byproduct of it. Ukraine used to be a bit of a gray zone for servers and internet security. Okay. Uh, so I believe it was the Avalanche Crime Syndicate who they are prevalent in um, scam emails, essentially. Okay. Uh, they are scamming, uh, phishing emails, sorry, not scamming, but phishing emails. Apparently, I think it was like 90, in 2015, 80% of all phishing emails were attributed to Avalanche. Them, oh them wow them. like it was a lot that's how prevalent they were uh to the point where there was like a, a global task force that got created to take them down um very clever technology was used they, they they created an internet sinkhole essentially where any traffic that was going to them got redirected into nothingness <laughs> very, very oh, wow. clever technology yeah um but they were based in ukraine and the reason for that is ukraine has got at the, at the time had their laws about the internet and server usage were super lax. Okay. And because of how international law works and extradite treaties, if say that you were had a server in Ukraine that you accessed and no one knew how you accessed it from, but you perpetrated the crimes from you from a Ukrainian server, like how they're gonna like in America, you can't, you know, can't prosecute. There's no way right. that you could okay. take that to court because, because the you're crime not really was to court committed from a different country. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a hard one to because it's it's and it's one of the like the biggest issues and why extradite treaties are so important to have because say that you're in the UK and you, uh, like scam someone out of a million pounds in America. If the crime is the same in the UK as America, so scamming people out of money, like fraud, you can be extradited to America because there's an extradition treaty there. Yeah. Um, and be prosecuted in America for a crime that you committed in the UK because it's the same against this because it's against the uh, US citizen. But say they're in Russia, Ukraine, China. So a lot of, a lot of, and it's, <laughs> yeah, a lot of the, of the like the patent stealing, the patent stealing, like the corporate espionage stuff that China does. Yeah. And then when they steal patterns and you're like, that car looks a lot like a BMW Z4, but it's not. And it's named something really wonky, but it looks exactly like a BMW Z4. Essentially what that's happened is 
there's been a breach at BMW. They've got hold of the like schematics for the car, the blueprints, and they know how to build it. So they've just made it in China. But because you know, how's BMW gonna sue China? I was yeah. like, how's that gonna work? Like, it's not. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's 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 a difficult one. Yeah, it's a difficult one. Very interesting though. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I feel like. Do you know what? I, I partly picked this topic because I was like, I know you're ill. And you're, you're interested <laughs> yeah, in this, so you won't have issues to do much with research. My throat. Like yeah. talking, talking a lot is great for me. So you thought, you know, I'll just throw me. No, what I thought was this, it will take less like mental effort for you to research this because you know maybe you just kind of know it off the top of your head anyway. And mm. what it's turned out is, it's probably you, you'll have no voice tomorrow. That's fine. I'll just be like, I'll wake <laughs> up, be like, bah, 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 and then just not have to, you know, do anything. Not have to speak in the meeting. No, and it's. It is a very interesting area of cybersecurity. Um, there's so many aspects of cybersecurity in 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 this. So you've got like compliance regulations um, to stop the, the bad things from happening. So that's where I my job is essentially. Yeah. Being a working in compliance is. Uh, I can't give too much information away. Actually, I don't think because I make myself a target. I know we're not that popular, but if this comes to the future, <laughs> yeah. Um, in this case, <laughs> they're good on company. the cyber security side of things, but not the speaking side of things. Yeah, so <laughs> let it all out. The, in the UK, we've got something called the CNI, which is the Critical National Infrastructure, uh, and it's it it's the, the CNI is the t- it's, it's moniker is put on anything that is deemed critical to the national infrastructure. So, like the cybersecurity systems that look after water companies energy companies all that sort of infrastructure the internet broadbands they are those are critical national infrastructures yeah. as determined by the uk government and if they're determined by that the uk government has then got a body which then creates regulations that you have to adhere to to be able to work or run a company in this area so and make moment, sure that they are constantly up and you know providing um, the infrastructure yeah, or, that they claim to do yeah so a big one is like, if, if you're a startup energy company, you need to, there's a whole there's a whole black box of how the government then connects to your smart meter. It all goes right. through some, some magical stuff. Um, learned about that in a past life. So if you want to start up, you need to connect to that. So you have to have a really secure system so that your connection to the magical box isn't and can't be breached. Okay. So I to do you. that, there's like a list of a hundred regulations that you have to adhere to that you'll get audited on. Um, so they come to your door and say, okay, your access control says that you use single sign on to protect access. Prove to me, show me where it says in your policy that you've got it and show me that it works. And you'll just take a screenshot and show you that it works. And that's how that, they will give you like, here's the document, here's how it works. That's where I work. So it means that you have to have a large a broad knowledge of cybersecurity principles, essentially, because you, you, they normally touch everything from like cryptographic modules, access controls, risk is a huge one because you've got to know your risks, um, vulnerabilities, you essentially touch on everything. Super interesting. Very then interesting. You've got the whole flip, flip other side of it of like you could potentially be a white, white hack, white or black hat, hatter, uh, hack, hat, hacker right or like purple or red or blue there's a whole different range essentially black black hat is you do it for nefarious reasons you like you write the malware 
white is you find out these um, vulnerabilities and then you tell the companies and then if you disclose the companies they normally have a bug it's called like a bug bounty program okay and essentially if you disclose be like oh hey google i was just you know trying to hack into your, your thing uh i was successful here is uh, a three-page document telling you how you do it what it affects and how to recreate it if you hand it to them they go oh yeah no, that is legit that's a legit vulnerability you've saved us x amount here is ten thousand pounds for showing this right okay so that's what a bug bounty program is. Do and people white... just like make a living doing that? Oh yeah, no, yeah, there are there are, there are full companies. Um, I'm trying to remember some of their names now. Someone like Bugcatcher or something like that. Because um, that sounds like a YouTube rabbit hole of like documentaries I want to go down. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really interesting. Um, bug bounty cybersecurity. Yeah, like yeah, loads of companies fair. have them. Uh, a lot of them. You know, don't. There was one where, like a a a child, uh, and I mean like a six-year-old, found a way to circumvent the Xbox security to unlock his Xbox by using the Connect. No. Yeah, because he was like, I just want to, I want to play my game. Um, so his dad put a lock on the, the Xbox and he used the Kinect to override it and get into the game. And essentially they wrote it up and sent it to Xbox and they were like, well, we can't give the kid money, but we can give you the money and we can give the kid like games and in-game money. So he got like a thousand pounds of like in-store credit. Yeah, that those, just those completely goes games. against what the parent was trying to teach that kid. Which I think is hilarious. No, it's not. That is exactly what you want to teach the kid. Those yeah, yeah, are the but... kinds of kids that go on to be really good at hacking. Oh yeah, no, hundred percent. Teach them to be white hackers to in that age. The kid, you know, absolutely. But like the parent is like, okay, your punishment is you cannot play the Xbox because you're playing it too much or whatever. And then they fix this thing, and then Xbox is like, ah, oh, well done. Here's all the here's all the games you can ever need. I know because <laughs> if it's the Xbox Store, you can buy like another Xbox or wait until the new Xbox comes out and then buy that. Oh, that's pretty rad. Yeah, so, you know. Very cool. And then purple is like, oh, I can't remember. So red is attack, blue is defense. So if you are if you, if you you go into blue, it's like red team, blue team. Uh, blue team is like you work on how to protect systems. From okay. Hacking. So like internet to true, the internet, uh, in, <laughs> intrusion <laughs> detection systems or intrusion prevention systems right so ids's and ips's that's blue uh red team is you specialize in ha- in attacking so that is like scanning networks and map that kind of thing and then purple is research so you just like research different techniques defensive techniques you do all the research you don't actually do the like hacking or like the, the theory the yeah it's more yeah essentially like theory based stuff oh that's cool there's a whole spectrum of colors and they mean different things relatively new Wow, that's rad. And if any, if you, if there's anybody that works in cybersecurity, first thing you learn is CIA, which is confidentiality, integrity, and availability. And they'll beat it into you a stick and be like, <laughs> "What do these three things mean?" It's like they they never leave. Like we've got, like there's risk assessments that people do, and be like, "Yeah, but how does that affect the availability?" I'm like, I learned this like first year of university. What what do you mean? And they people still use it, CIA. That's good though. Yeah. The core thing that's kind of universal. Is, so it's a very good thing yeah. to have in an industry. And it, it's very clever. It kind of covers everything. So it's confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Confidentiality is essentially 
should the person be who look who's looking at this be looking at this yeah so access integrity is um files being modified right so does someone have access to be able to change and modify the file and then availability is they want to go view a file is it up and running okay so is it available for them to go look and that covers such a wide spectrum of like everything you could possibly do around cybersecurity. it's yeah. crazy that's mad that's good though it's a good infrastructure oh, yeah, very, to have. very clever very clever like if you have if you have a, like a risk register which is what it's called but you have a a big list of all your risks you'll normally have a risk rating and then if you'll have if it impacts c i or a and then you'll have your con- mitigating controls and then you'll have your residual risk so what was after you've taken everything into account how much risk is that left over and then basing on that you'll take a risk approach to determining if you want if you want to accept it uh there's different types of ways so you've got acceptance uh transferal mitigate or increase there's actually there's supposed to be three t's but i never the three, remember the three t's it's transfer <laughs> um but i don't know what the mitigate is for it uh accept it and a lot of people don't remember the acceptance like oh, okay. there's there's situations where there may be, it's worth be like, okay it's there to increase your risk like investing potentially that is yeah. when you take a risk attitude that you say i've got a really high risk appetite which is a really weird terminology but it means like i'm hungry for risk i can take on a lot of risk yeah um yeah all right we, we are well over the hour minutes now. Many more minutes apologies to anybody that's not interested in cybersecurity i find it very interesting and i think it's incredibly interesting uh yeah we've treated everyone that's that's two hour 15 minute shows in a in a row yeah also that's why so it's a bit about me my what spurred my career i was an internet uh internet technician it technician a lowly um i don't know what you call it you would call it uh like level one right service desk essentially but to be honest, we did everything. Like I drilled holes and walls. It was great. Um, and then the final year of my apprenticeship, because I was doing an apprenticeship, uh, the WannaCry outbreak happened. If everybody remembers that. The what? Is this WannaCry? No. Blue Eternal? No. It's, it, it, it was a, a massive uh, vulnerability in Windows 7 that essentially let a, what would you call it? Crypto locker, essentially. So it, it went in locked a machine and said oh it's ransomware it, it locked the machine oh, encrypted okay. it with a special key and then said unless you pay us this amount of money via bitcoin we won't give you the decryption keys right uh and it was a massive issue because there was an exploit in the blue eternal which is one of the different systems in windows 7 that let it propagate through the network without you saying yay or nay it just went off right it was terrible absolutely awful thing uh NHS was absolutely destroyed by it. They had to rebuild pretty much their infrastructure. Um, lots of companies. But at the school that we worked at, we got a teacher brought it into the school via a USB, and then it, you know, destroyed our servers. Um, but luckily, I had a project earlier that year to create a an air-gapped, going back, uh, backup system so which essentially it sounds really cool but essentially was me taking a hard drive out of the server putting another hard drive in the server then taking that hard drive and walking it to a safe on the on to on a different campus and then putting in that safe and locking it away oh fair so what we did is we we, we just blitzed 
essentially two days worth of work for everybody, what you had to do in that time. Um, and then use those hard drives to bring a backup to a, to a restore point. Oh, nice. But that's the first time I came across like a wide scale uh, cybersecurity event. And when that's really interesting, let's go do a degree. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Awesome source. Cool. Well, let's wind this wind this up, mate. I need some lem sip. I need a yeah. strepsil, like some honey, some lemon, some ginger in a, in, a, in a glass. I just couldn't bear to cut you off, mate. It was it was too interesting. <sighs> oh, yeah. Do you know what? We haven't even covered my favourite you know, different types of attacks. No, really, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll come back in a future episode and cover this again. Slow so, Lawrence, if anybody wants to search what that is, a slow, slow Lawrence attack. Yeah. Don't forget, share this with your friends, families, co-workers, anyone who may be interested. Um, if you want more information, fun science, you can follow us on Twitter and TikTok at InfoEntryPod, Instagram, InformationEntryPod, of course, wherever you're listening to this, as well as many other directories. You can give us a follow, a rating, a comment, a like, whatever it is. It helps us out absolutely massively. So this yeah. has been the Information Entry Podcast. Hopefully, we've helped decrease the entropy of information in your lives or hopefully Mitch did because I just asked questions yeah uh, if you want any cybersecurity tips tricks hints career paths anything you want to know uh, at MitchG94 send me, any, send me a DM on, on Twitter I'm on there sometimes um, <laughs> you're, you're, I'll remind you to check it well that's, that's out of everything that's the, the thing I'm on the most compared to like I don't know Instagram that's who uses Instagram? Uh, but yeah. So <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap it up there. Thanks for joining. Catch y'all next week. Peace. Ciao for now.